Welcome to Make It Click, a podcast about training, enriching, and loving your canine best friend. I'm Liz Knight, certified professional dog trainer, here to share stories and info on all things dog. Building a training relationship and navigating life with your dog is an exciting time, but can quickly become overwhelming for many of us. I'm here to share dog knowledge, share stories, and break down info for you. I'm here to help make it click. I recently had the chance to chat with Liza from Focus Dog Training. Focus Dog Training is located in South Surrey, White Rock, British Columbia, and offers private coaching as well as on-demand learning options for dog guardians. Liza was kind enough to come and share some really excellent knowledge about responsible dog breeding, plus tips for dog guardians who are interested in finding a responsible breeder. We also talked about why responsible breeding matters and how knowing what your dog is bred for influences what your life together looks like. I learned a lot during this episode, and I hope you do too. Enjoy! Well, welcome, Liza. Thank you so much for coming to chat with me. Hello, I'm so glad to be here. Yay. Um, so do you want to introduce yourself, uh, your business, your dogs, anything we might find interesting for those lovely humans that are listening? Absolutely. Uh, my name is Liza. I run Focus Dog Training. Um, we do almost entirely private coaching as well as some like virtual training options. Um, I'm based out of South Surrey White Rock in BC, but I do work with people like all over the world. Um, I came to dogs from kind of like a weird place, or at least to force free training from a weird place. Um, Mm. I am a crossover trainer and I was raised um, around confirmation, gun dog training and obedience training. Very, very old school dog training. Um, And my grandmother was a master breeder, author and judge of sporting dogs. Um, She bred Nova Scotia ductile retrievers which I still Very have. Cool. Um, and they are a real passion for me. Um, but I've made a real left turn and started coming to science-based force retraining about eight years ago. That's awesome. So just out of curiosity, just because I know you mentioned, you know, coming to force free, um, cause it's my understanding that in general, uh, most of the breeding and confirmation world maybe is starting to trend in some of that direction in some circles, but is not necessarily a fully force free environment yes. currently is that correct? uh confirmation especially um is real old school in a lot of ways um it can be sometimes really hard to be in that environment because of that but i do think it's really important that we keep showing up um because the way that we do it works it's effective and it helps other people see that um a lot of people aren't going to be swayed by you know appeals to ethics and we want to be nicer, but they will be swayed by us being effective. Mm-hmm. That's so true. So I, you know, I'm really excited to chat with you because my area of expertise is definitely not in the breeding arena. Um, you know, I sort of generally know like red flags, green flags to look for if someone's looking for a responsible, reputable breeder, but I I'm always really keen to learn more. Um, <laughs> so I'm, I'm really stoked to kind of pick your brain. So um, from the breeding perspective, you know, it, I think a lot of us have heard the term responsible breeding or reputable breeding. Um, but what does that really mean to you? Like, how would you define that? Yeah, that's a kind of a massive question because there's only <laughs> moving parts and also no one can agree. Um, mm. So I'm going to stay fairly general because 
there are tons of disagreements about the specifics of like which puppy raising protocol is most effective. Um, and I think those are really interesting and they're valuable to the people who are really involved in that. But as mm. a pet owner, here are some general things you're going to look for. Um, we are proving our breeding stock. That means we're looking at their adaptability and their the way that they do the job that they're being bred for. We're mm. health testing. We stand by the dogs. That means if they are ill or if something were to happen to you, the dog will always have some place to go. Uh, we evaluate the litters and place them accordingly. And we also have a contract and we screen buyers. So those are just a few kind of points that we are going to touch on. Um, one thing I will say, though, is you're going to notice me say well-bred or responsibly bred. And that is not the same thing as purebred. It is very mm, possible. That's a good distinction. Yeah. It's very possible to breed mixed breed dogs very ethically. And it is also very possible to unethically breed purebred dogs. So I always specify that I'm talking about well-bred dogs. Ooh, that's such a good point. And that's actually one that I, now that I'm thinking about it, I'm like, oh, I totally should have considered that. And I <laughs> hadn't. <laughs> well, it's just like um, rescues. There's unethical rescues as well. And so there's no one true way of doing it. Um mm-hmm. And there's no, you know, a closed stud book is not the only way to do something. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a really great point. You know, and I, obviously, when we think about, uh, you know, finding a a breeder of well-bred dogs, a responsible breeder, in my brain, I'm automatically thinking about things like uh, health. uh, I mean, health and temperament really are are the big ones, right? So um, are there... I'm sure that that's, those are components that you're also thinking about too, when you're sort of tracking your breeding stock and I'm assuming doing like solid health testing and stuff, but are there other reasons why it really like matters to have responsible breeding of well-bred dogs? Yeah. So one of the biggest things is predictability. And I think that Mm -hmm. is why this is so important to people. If I am going to buy a golden retriever, I would like to get a golden retriever. I would like my dog to know how to pick things up and carry them around. I'd like them to be friendly with people and dogs. Um, I would like them to be generally pretty unflappable out in the world. Those are all real characteristics of a golden retriever. And obviously there is always going to be variation, right? Like they're not clones, but for example, like my, my youngest dog is from a line that I've had my entire life and I evaluated his litter and I was pretty much 100% correct of the dog that he is as an adult, including all of his personality, his faults, like his physical faults, the things that are difficult for him. We were able to predict that almost 100%. Now, I imagine it's so valuable for you to have been able to know historically what his lineage looked like, not just like on paper, but actually knowing who those dogs were. Yes. And he reminds me like very, very closely of very certain dogs that I know he's related to. um, And I can know that, oh yeah, so-and-so went through this weird period where they were also a little worried about sounds at about a year old. It came out in the wash and it comes out in the wash with him. Mm -hmm. I feel like this makes me think a lot about uh, the the thought process that we tend to have about how a, a dog of a certain breed should act a certain way, should have a specific temperament. Um, and obviously that is often the goal, it sounds like, with responsible breeding is that you're trying to achieve a certain, I'll say breed standard in terms of what the dog is historically bred for, what they're being bred for now in terms of functionality. Um, Do you, I mean, I would, I guess this isn't really a question. It's more of just a line of thinking of, it makes me feel like it 
does an extra disservice if you have people that aren't monitoring for health, yes. temperament, et cetera, because you end up with pet guardians who think they're getting one thing and then get something that's completely different. Yeah. And it's a huge issue with transparency as well. Um, so a great example of that, I mentioned golden retrievers, an issue we are seeing massively in golden retrievers right now is resource guarding. Mm-hmm. because we have bred a dog like, and this is like totally speculation as to why we're getting this, but we have a dog who has really big feelings about picking things up and carry them around. And then we have a very large backyard breeding population. Mm. So people backyard breeding is people who are not doing all the things of responsible breeding. They're not to the level of a puppy mill, but they're also not also doing the work that they need to do. Mm-hmm. And that is really scary. Like resource guarding is a really major behavior problem. And when you bring yeah. home like, there's nothing more angelic than a golden retriever puppy, right? And you bring home this angelic baby. And then all of a sudden- little fluffy potatoes. They're so cute. And they're so sweet. And there's like, there's nothing sweeter than a well-bred golden. But then to have aggression issues, like that's really worrying. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it's especially hard. Like I'm thinking about golden retrievers too, of if- even if you in your household are are working on something like a behavior like resource guarding um, or, you know, stranger danger reactivity, or, you know, we could fill in a whole bunch of behaviors, I'm sure, depending on an individual dog. But if, if the world sort of looks at your dog and says, oh, that's a dog that I'll say, quote, should be uh, friendly, however we want to describe that, we should be able to take anything from it, which again, please don't do that to any of your dogs. Um, <laughs> but I think it can feed these sort of unfortunate encounters that people will have with dogs who it, it may just be that something genetically predispose them to that particular behavior. Absolutely. And it can be really upsetting for people to think they're getting one thing and then get another. And they may have bought a golden retriever, again, using that example, because they had small children in the home and they wanted mm-hmm. to be safe. Um, and so it's it's definitely not to say that nothing bad ever happens with a well-bred dog. It's, it's not a science. It's an art. And things happen. And genetics are limitlessly complicated Um, but your likelihood of getting the dog that you were expecting to have is going to be much higher when you go to a breeder who's doing everything right Um, the other issue with transparency is like again in a breed like golden retrievers where we have multiple different lines so you have working dogs you have dogs that are bred for service work you have dogs that are bred to do field work um, so like traditional duck hunting and you then you also have dogs who are bred for like confirmation and for pet homes those are almost different breeds like if you got a, like a like a really truly field bred american field bred uh, golden and then you put it next to a, a true confirmation and pet line golden they they look different they behave different they have a mm-hmm. lot of similarities but they're very different and what i see a lot is people getting a, say a lab and they thought they were getting like a very sweet doofy you know, big old lab and they bought a field line lab and this dog is bonkers. Um, mm-hmm. And it can be really, really hard to see. Um, I got a lot of these dogs cause I specialize in really high velocity dogs and I got a lot of field line dogs and with people who didn't know that that's what they were getting. So another thing you're going to get from a really responsible breeder is transparency about what their dogs are like. Cause they're not trying to sell you a dog. Right. You know, and I think that speaks to that to the point too that you brought up earlier that there's there's very intentional placement of well-bred dogs in yes. homes right it's not just sort of a first come first serve it's a wanting that dog to be successful in the environment that they are 
being put in. Absolutely. A massive red flag that happens in my breed is um, being able to pick the puppy before the puppies are evaluated or being able to pick your puppy at all. Um, mm. You do your puppy when you are coming into it. First of all, you don't have the experience and the knowledge to be able to pick a puppy as a pet owner, but also you haven't been looking at them for eight weeks. So the example I always give for this, um, I'm really dear friends with one of my dog's um, brother's owners, the litter maid's owner. And when they would, were going to see the litter really frequently, they would often go in the evening. And they always thought that my puppy Biscuit was the calmest puppy in the litter because he was always sleeping. Mm. Biscuit had been up terrorizing all the other puppies and everybody else for the entire day. And he crashed every evening. <laughs> and he is one of the hardest puppies I've ever handled. It was so, all an illusion. So you can see how you're only getting like, you know, a snippet of information. Even if you are visiting once or twice a week, you're really only getting a small snippet of information. And you also don't have all the background information. What was his dad like? What was his grandfather like? Right. And right. so you should not be picking your puppy as sad as that I, is. But don't worry, because yeah. by the time you get down the driveway, the puppy you have is going to be the best puppy of all of the puppies. And you will love it with your entire heart, even if it wasn't the one you had your eye on. Of course. Well, I mean, they're all little fluffy potatoes. So how they're, could you? They're perfect and adorable. And, yeah. <laughs> I think this also, I mean, it makes me think about how there's always going to be crossover, um, between, you know, the the dogs that we learn about as individuals and the genetic component, right? Like, it's impossible to separate those two things because they're two sides of the same coin, you know? Yes, the genetics inform the self. And so when we say, like, every dog is a study of one, that doesn't mean we're discounting genetics. Genetics are exceptionally important. Again, just put a golden retriever puppy next to a Malinois puppy and you'll see genetics are exceptionally important. Right, right. So, you know, uh, if we're thinking about sort of the key things that a, a dog guardian should look for, um, I know you already mentioned a couple and uh, touched on a couple of red flags. Are there specifics that you would look at as sort of this is an absolute yes, go green flag? <laughs> um, I, I feel like there's just there's multiple points that we want to hit. Mm -hmm. So before the puppies ever happen, like planning of a litter starts years before the puppies are on the ground and going home. Um, we want to see that they're health testing their dogs. And you can find out what health tests are recommended by going to the parent club of the breed or whoever mm -hmm. is running the program. Now, if you have, let's say you're trying to look for a responsibly bred doodle, you're going to be looking at what does the poodle club recommend and what does the golden retriever club recommend? Because they have the potential to have both of those health problems. And so right. they should be testing for everything. Right. We want to see results of that testing too. So sometimes people will be like, oh, they're health checked. Nope. Health checked by a vet is not health testing. Embarked DNA tests is not health testing. Let's, are there hip x-rays on the OFA website? Are they actually doing what they say they're doing? And are they doing all of the things? It's not okay to just do health testing on some of the dogs or only to do some right. of the health testing. Right. I think that's an important distinction too, that health checks at a vet are not necessarily the same as health testing. Yes. Right. Because we're not looking at the health of the individual puppy. We're looking at the genetic health and the structural health of the parents. Your vet cannot look at your dog at a dog's elbows and give them a grade. And there's certain things like, for example, like with hips, 
where you can breed, you know, this level of hips to that level of hips, but mm -hmm. level A cannot be bred to level A because, you know, things will start to degrade from there. So people are making choices that are based on the results of the tests. Mm -hmm. So me looking at the health tests, like looking at the health of the puppies afterwards is not that that's after the decision has been made. It's not helping you. Right. Now there is, right. are things like, like testing for deafness in, in Dalmatians that are important that the puppies get as babies. Um, and it is important that they are seeing a vet and, and they have been shown to be healthy before they go home, but that's not health testing. Right. Right. So, you know, we have obviously the physical health side of things in terms of, uh, I'll say like emotional wellness. Is that mm -hmm. the right way to yeah. phrase this? I think that's a good way to phrase that. <laughs> I'm thinking about, uh, you know, you mentioned that, of course, there's a lot of different options for puppy raising programs. Um, but in in general, I know if, if I'm direct, if I'm sort of looking at a breeder's information to try to help a client gather some more info, um, I'm I'm looking for things like the puppies are getting positive exposure to a variety of experiences. I'm looking for things like the puppies are not being placed in new homes when they're like five weeks old, right? That they're still with their litter mates <laughs> in uh, an appropriate puppy scenario um, for a long enough time. But for me, that's about the extent of <laughs> my understanding. So I, I'm curious if you have other, either like tips or just general thoughts on what people could, could look for um, in terms of the puppy raising aspect of it. Yeah. One thing that I want to see is that people are really tracking their puppies development um, mm. programs like puppy culture and like Avidog. Um, they, it's not about, you know, hitting a certain mark, like at seven weeks, they should have met, hit, met, met this many people or whatever, because different breeds develop at different rates and different litters are going to develop at different rates. Um, but we want to see that they're really paying attention. They're being very thoughtful. And that might mean having a program. It might be combining multiple programs. Um, they're meeting new people. They are having new surfaces, new sounds, getting new experiences. Um, that being said, that being said, I'm working with a puppy who was raised in a barn and she's the bravest puppy I've ever met. So Aww. we really like, she's <laughs> phenomenal. Um, so we, uh, we really want to be looking at temperament proving of the parents as well. Um, that's going to be just as important, if not more. Puppy culture, Avi Dog, all those programs are really about giving the puppies the best start possible. But that start also starts with the breeding when it happens and the choosing of the parents. Um, so things, it's it can be hard to like prove a dog is a good pet dog, right? Because there's no like test you can do. Um, right, right. But it, you want to see that they're doing the work that they are being bred to do. So if you're buying a dog to be an obedience competitor, you want to see that the parents are doing something along those lines. Maybe it's something like IGB, maybe it's something like rally, but they're getting out and they're competing. If you want a dog to be a pet, do we have, are they getting their canine good citizen tests? Mm. Are they doing dog sports? Doing dog sports is not, it's not going to say that they're a great pet, but traveling and being around lots of people and lots of dogs and still being able to perform behaviors, you know, that's helpful, right? That's yeah, really that's helpful. a good thing to, to know that that's been proven that they can do, right? Yeah, things like rally are another good way. Again, can you perform behaviors in front of lots of people and dogs? And can you travel? And can you go to classes? Those are really important things for the dogs to be able to do. Um, and so we, I want to see that people are taking their dogs out there and doing things with them. Because a reactive dog can be a great pet dog at home. Yeah. Yeah. 
No, that's so important. And I think it's also really good to think about, you know, what are they being bred for? And what does that mean in terms of the breed's needs in particular? Yeah. And I know that that's something that you talk about a lot, specifically with tollers, correct? Yes. And it's kind of like, um, like it's kind of like buying a house with like looking at dog um, standards. Um, so breeds that are independent. Yeah, they're not going to listen to you. You better have a really good reason, right? They are bred to not actually respond to you. They're, they're bred to work on their own. They don't need right. you. Um, and so you better be pretty convincing. Do you want to work at that? Um, yeah. Breeds that are high energy. A lot of people feel like high energy is we're going to go for a walk every day. Mm-hmm. You know, high energy is man or could be managing 200 head of cattle every day. Right. It's right. a very different world. <laughs> yeah. Um, and one thing I, I, I really encourage people to do before they ever even decide on a breed or a group that they want to start looking at is really be brutally honest about what your life currently is. Not what you want it yeah. to be. What is it? And what does active mean to you? So active for some people might mean hiking a mountain every single weekend and going for runs every single day. And active for other people means going to the gym Mm -hmm. and your dog doesn't go to the gym with you. Yeah. I think quantifying that is so important because everybody might have a different definition of what that looks like. Mm -hmm. Like you're totally right. If, if, I mean, if I know for me, I, any dog that was described as active for me, I would have to think at this point in my life, I have two senior dogs. Mm -hmm. That might not be a good fit for my household. (laughs) I have two senior dogs. We're about to move to a different state. If someone asked me if I wanted to take on an active puppy right now, Mm -hmm. I would probably say no. I'm not prepared at this moment in my life (laughs) to be equipped for that. (laughs) You know, could I make it work? Sure. Would all of us be happy? Maybe not. Um, That's the other thing. Like, could you make it work? Yeah. But why? Right. So I see a lot of people be like, oh, say for like, for example, Australian shepherds can absolutely live in an apartment and they can absolutely live in the middle of the city. I am not disputing that. They absolutely could. And for some people, that's exactly what they want. And it works fantastic. Right. And the dogs Mm -hmm. are really happy. Man, is it a lot of work. Yeah. And when it goes badly, it goes real bad. So if if those are the risks you want to take and if that is the kind of lifestyle you really want to have, go for it. I'm not going to tell you not to do it but really consider mm-hmm. maybe not. I've, I've uh, talked about this with a few dog trainers. I feel like if everybody bought a Shih Tzu, we would be out of a job. <laughs> Straight up out of a job. <laughs> you know, it's something I think about a lot. And I've, I've been lucky enough to have a couple of clients who have brought me on board before they even had a dog in mind to bring home. And it's been such a nice opportunity to really sit down and ask those questions. You know, what does, what does an ideal day with your dog look like? What does a, we have no energy day with our dog look like, right? Because not every day is going to be an ideal day. <laughs> And we have to be realistic about that. But I found that to be even a helpful exercise for myself for thinking about the future of, okay, what is it that I'm looking for? What is it that's going to work well for me for my life? Because if I bring in a dog that doesn't fit well, the dog's going to lose out. You know, I'm probably going to lose out a little bit too, but the dog's the the one who's ultimately going to lose out. Yeah. It's fun to to live with a dog that is a really, you know, a square peg in a round hole for anyone involved. And that's another thing that I want to see breeders doing. And I really think breeders should do more of is just telling people no. Mm. Mm -hmm. If you're not the right home for my dogs, I'm going to say no. 
And I might make a suggestion, like the suggestions I make all the time with the tollers, Cocker Spaniels, Springer Spaniels, Field Spaniels. Mm, interesting. Right? There are breeds out there. There's a lot of breeds that are really rare that might be a better fit for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with it, falling in love with a breed and then realizing that, that that particular breed at that particular time for whatever your life looks like, that that might not work for you. Like, yeah, that's perfectly I'm okay. probably to never going to have a Borzoi. Yeah. <laughs> I love them. I love them. I love them. I love them. So if you get a no from a breeder, that's actually great news. Yeah. Because the breeders that you don't want to be buying a puppy from are not going to say no. Mm-hmm. They're going to say, oh, it's $2,000. We take cash or check. Yep. And I never, like, I never want to feel like a breeder is trying to sell me a puppy. Because yeah. our, like, the breeder's job is to not sell puppies. It's to produce pu- excellent puppies and find them the right homes. Mm, it's not to that. sell them. And that's a really, really important distinction. If you ever feel like someone is trying to sell you on their breed or their lines, walk away. Mm-hmm. That's such a good point. And it's something that I've heard a little bit before is that good, you know, responsible breeders are in it for the breed. Yeah, because they're not in it. There's no way to make good money. (laughs) You cannot live off of it if you do it well. Health Mm -hmm. testing is so expensive. Mm -hmm. Proving the dogs is so expensive. It is so a labor of love. And some people might price their dogs so that they are able to break even because cost of living is ridiculous and and that's fine. Um, But no one is making money hand over fist doing this well. It's just not possible. Yeah. It's just not realistic. Yeah. So are there, are there any other sort of points that you wanted to make sure, make make sure we touch on (laughs) as I trip over my own tongue, Um, (laughs) make sure we touch on about this topic. Cause I, I mean, I'm finding this really valuable as a professional. So (laughs) I imagine others are also going to find it extremely valuable. So there's a great essay that goes around that I encourage everyone to go read called, but I just want a pet dog. Um, Mm -hmm. And that is something that we hear a lot. Like I don't, but I don't need a show dog, right? We say that a lot. I don't need a sport competitor. I don't need a fancy dog. Um, and well-bred dogs are not inherently like fancy. They don't need to be. Um, and you might say like, I don't need, you know, I don't need a dog who's like an IPG3 winner, right? Cool. But maybe a confirmation title would be very helpful for you. Standing yeah. still, having strangers approach and handle you around other dogs. That's a really good thing to know that the dogs are able to do. Um, people who are who are doing things like showing and like competing with their dogs, not all of them, absolutely, but so that you're, you have a much higher concentration of people who are, they're doing the health test. They're doing the mm-hmm. temperament testing. They are making sure that their dogs are predictable. The reason why we have standards is so that the dogs are predictable right? Tollers are not 30 inches at the shoulder because that is not functional for them. And because if they're over 20, we do not breed them. Right. So if you you know, I know that my dogs are not going to be massive because they, we just don't do that. Right. It's just not a thing. Um, And so you're, you're going to get that level of predictability. You're going to get more investment. This is people, you know, people who it's their hobby. It's, their, their life's passion and their life's work. Um, and they're going to have experience to know, you know, are you going to be the right fit for their dogs or not? And they're also going to have mentors who can help them. So a lot of knowledge about dog breeding and 
husbandry and all of those things comes from a really amazing lineage of, of largely women teaching each other. And that's really, really cool. And you want to have that. You want to have access to that. It should be a lifelong resource for the life of your dog. Yeah. And having that type of lifelong learning and mentorship in place for the people who are doing that important work of breeding well-bred dogs. You know, it's, I would imagine it's something that requires a significant amount of commitment and increasing knowledge and really being on on top of your stuff. Um, (laughs) And I, I also really appreciate the point about, you know, if you are looking at a dog from a breeder and they are showing titling that their dogs have done, dog sports, uh, rally confirmation, et cetera. Even if that's not what you're looking for, look at what skills those dogs need in order to achieve those different, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, titles that the dogs need in order to attend sport events. What do the dogs need in order to be at confirmation events? Um, Because that, can give us insight into what is that breeder looking for to pass along genetically. Yes. Especially if that breeder is not operating from a place of training through suppression and through mm-hmm. training through force. Um, it's going to give you a lot of really good information, but we also have to remember that breeders are breeders and they are not necessarily trainers. Don't get, sure. you know, training advice from your breeder. Don't get breeding advice from your veterinarian. Don't get vet advice from your pet store. And I think that also is a nice little tag into reminding people that it's never too early to hire a trainer. (laughs) Yes, you can hire us before you even get the puppy. We love it when you do that. Right. Because ultimately it means that you're able to set everyone up for success much sooner um, instead of sort of waiting for problems to arise and then having to backtrack. And there's so much, like there are, I think there's like, like over 400 dog breeds worldwide. Mm-hmm. Right. And so what happened with Dr. Hilary is when my grandmother had her first litter, it was like the first litter on the West Coast of Canada. And it was 1976. And she had to keep all of them for six months because she couldn't. Nobody wanted them. Oh, wow. Nobody knew what they were and nobody wanted them. They were like <laughs> ugly goldens and they were small. Like, now oh. <laughs> I have friends who have 400 person long wait lists. Right. So people don't know that they, people can't want something that they don't know exists. Right. And so one of the things a trainer like me can help you do has a lot of experience with a lot of different breeds is find the right breeds for you, because there's Mm -hmm. a lot of quite rare breeds or just less known breeds that are phenomenal, like smooth collies. If you think of getting a border collie or an Aussie, Mm -hmm. go spend time with some smooth collies first. And just see see what what you feel. Right. (laughs) And they're like, I have a rough collie. He is a decaf border collie. He's wonderful. And I think so many people would be so much happier with the decaf border collie than they were with mm-hmm. the border collie that they're now having to pay a lot of money to do behavioral modification with. Yeah. Um, and that's not saying that there's anything wrong with border collies. I, I love border collies. I've had two. They're wonderful, but they have challenges. Sometimes it's just not the Sometimes right match. It's not the right match. Um, yeah. So I love playing matchmaker with people. Um, it's very fun. Um, I love that. And there's so many, there's so many dogs out there and that's not even touching on all the purpose red mixes, sport mixes, um, you know, people trying really, really hard to do the doodles and the cockapoos really well. Um, mm-hmm. They are out there. I, I have seen it. Um, oh yeah. 
there are a lot of people doing it really poorly, but that's true for everything else. Right. So it's really about finding the, the, the breed or the mix that's going to be really suitable for you and then finding the people who are doing it really well. And that sometimes takes time. Yeah. It takes time and it takes figuring out what the heck it is you're even looking for. Like, <laughs> you know, because that can feel totally overwhelming. Yeah. Um, I also will henceforth be referring to rough collies as decaf border collies from they now on. So are. thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> so I know that uh, along with offering, uh, you know, virtual one-on-one uh, options, I'm sure, if people wanted to reach out to you and uh, get some guidance on what dog breed might be best for them. Um, I also know you have some webinars and some on-demand stuff on this topic. I do. I have a free webinar. Um, and I, I put it together and made it free because I just think this is such an important topic and I want this information to be really accessible to people. Um, it is called Finding a Responsible Dog Breeder. And it's just a simple... Uh, webinar on all the steps of going through it. it goes through a bunch of red flags um, and and things that you're really going to want to be looking for. That's awesome. And I'm going to link that in the show notes for people. Um, and then along with that, I also know you have, uh, I'm, I'm going to very happily plug for you that you also have some other webinars that you offer on some really great topics and you have one on recall um, and you've got some other offerings too, if people are interested. We do. I have a specific one on tollers um, that is Kind of, there is a Toller book um, that my grandmother wrote, and I kind of wanted to take it and update it a little bit and make it more accessible Very to people because cool. the book can be hard to find. Um, and I also have one on retriever games for pet dogs. Very cool. And I'm going to link to all of those because I think it's great. Um, and also, it doesn't matter where you are. You can access, you know, really great, valuable information on this whole wide world, uh, wide range of topics, um, thanks to the beauty of the internet. So Love it. <laughs> I'm a big fan. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming to chat with me. I've already learned so much and I now want to go uh, just look at a whole bunch of different breeds and, you know, learn more stuff, which is really fun for me because I am a nerd. Um, <laughs> but if, uh, if people wanted to kind of connect with you, follow along with you, get in touch, what's the best way for them to do that? You can find me on Instagram at focus dogs or at www.focusdogs.ca. So the easiest awesome. way to find me. <laughs> and I will link those in the notes too. I don't know why I'm pointing as if the people listening are going <laughs> to be able to see because this is an audio format, but <laughs> links will be in the show notes to all of those things. <laughs> uh, thank you so much, Liza. This was awesome. Thank you for having me. We hope you enjoyed this episode. New Make It Click episodes are released once a month on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening now, so make sure to hit subscribe to find out when new episodes drop. If you're enjoying our chat so far, I'd love it if you'd consider joining us on Patreon. Patreon members receive exclusive access to an additional full-length episode each month, Q&A and live office hours with me, and access to other fun and helpful community resources. You can learn more about supporting the podcast and joining the Make It Click Club community at patreon.com slash makeitclick. And make sure to follow us on Instagram at makeitclick.club for episode updates and training info. Thanks for listening. <laughs>